Hi guys, it's Andy McDonald, physio and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Prav Mafima, a physio well-known across international rugby for his roles with Welsh rugby and the British and Irish Lions, on top of a background in both professional rugby and football. In this episode, we'll be discussing his roles in governance, the qualities required to be effective in different elite rugby environments, and creating less dependent professional athletes. This episode has been sponsored by Vol Performance, makers of Forstex, the world's fastest, easiest, and most powerful dual force plate system. Forstex can help you to analyze neuromuscular strength, performance, and imbalances in your athletes. With an incredibly simple setup and intuitive software, Forstex automatically detects over 15 common force plate tests and analyzes them with a single click, helping you to collect quick and accurate insights on your athletes. To learn more, head over to our sponsor, volperformance.com. You're listening to the Informed Performance Podcast, and here is today's episode between myself, Annie McDonald, and Prav Mafima. Prav, welcome to the show, mate. It's uh, it's brilliant to have you on. How are you? Yeah, very good, very good. Thank you. Yeah, a pleasure to be uh, pleasure to be on board, and uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Cool. Just to to kind of kick us off, mate, would you be able to give some context for kind of your career and, and what you do, just in case somebody hasn't discovered you? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it'd be a, be a pleasure, really. So um, I was invited by uh, by Ben um, to, to to come on board, and uh, it was uh, it's awesome to be invited. And um, you know, I've been through a couple of different sports through my journey uh, in sports medicine. So started off uh, in uh, in football at QPR Football Club uh, quite a few years ago now, and um, I did uh, I did like an eight year stint there um, in in football. And then following that, was invited to join London Wasps Rugby Club as their head of medical. And then um, during my time there, was very fortunate to go on my first Lions tour in 2009 with Sreemi Geekin. And um, following that period, uh, the Welsh national team asked whether I would be um, interested in joining them, really. So been now with the Welsh national team for uh, well ne- nearly 11 years it's going to be uh, after uh, after this next six nations coming up in uh, uh, the early part of next year and uh, also been you know really privileged to be part of another three lions tours as well so just coming back off the back of the tour to South Africa um, in the summer really so and that leads us kind of to where we are right now yeah how, how one of the things I'm curious about is you know how does maybe the skill set change from being head of medical or a physio in say club rugby to national rugby to sorry international rugby to then you know lions rugby because they're all, they're obviously different environments but i'm just wondering yeah. does the skill set change you know along that pathway i I'd, I'd say so definitely i mean you know when uh, when i started out you know it was very much you know uh, very heavily clinically involved you know within within the teams etc and then as as i've kind of been fortunate to move through my journey, you know, in, uh, in sports medicine, the teams have got bigger, you know, so your managerial skills certainly needs to, needs to change somewhat. Um, certainly moving into the international kind of stage with Wales, uh, my role isn't just with the national team with Wales. It's, it's actually looking at, uh, sports medicine across, um, the whole game. So the governance side of things is, is pretty significant, um, in, in that role, looking across, uh, the community game all the way through to, you know the, the the club game, um, the international game, 
uh, being involved in kind of global projects and global working groups as well. And then on top of that, still having a clinical caseload then with the uh, with the national team, really. So, you know, certainly it's fair to say that with the national team, it's 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 you know, there's a lot of governance around it. Um, and they're slightly different to that with Alliance. Um, you know, that's only obviously every four years. And the governance side is very much still there, but it's obviously only uh, only for one team. And the clinical caseload is only for uh, only for that team as well. So it's slightly different, you know, for Alliance tour. Um, but it's fair to say that the national side of things, you know, has, has a significant governance role uh, attached to it. Yeah. And when you're working as a, you know, as a head of medical or physio with, say, the international players, I would guess that in the season, you know, their club physios take the lead on them and kind of check in with you. Um, do you become sort of like a soundboard or a second opinion also in that context? Well, we're, we're really fortunate in Wales. We've got a lot of very experienced practitioners uh, looking after all of our athletes. And what we have, uh, certainly within Wales, is that we have a group of athletes who are essentially part of our national team, if you like. We have a national 38, you know, where um, the primacy of the contract, you know, is 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 with the national team, you know. So um, a lot of the management is is bounced back and forth, you know. Um, and then you're dead right there, you know, the 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 club guys will um, will manage them, and all, you know, the, the, like I said, they're very experienced and they manage them effectively. But you've got to make sure that you know the communication lines are are excellent, you know, going back and forth both ways. So it's making sure that you know we're checking in regularly. Uh, and again, we're very lucky in Wales. It's only a very small country, so we actually get the opportunity to go um, periodically as well within the teams as well, just to have a look around. Or conversely, we can bring players into our national uh, centre of excellence, um, you know, based just outside of Cardiff. And uh, you know, we're we're very blessed with our facilities there, so we have athletes come there as well out of campaigns uh, to to come and rehabilitate and kind of, kind of work with us, uh, with our national team, uh, medical, t- medical team. Which I good is, I guess is a great option. If the, the club team itself is really busy or has a lot of rehabs and injuries at one time, I guess it, it can lighten their load and give a bit more concentrated rehab to that player. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about that. And I think, you know, if you ask players as well, you know, if you have a busy and a pretty full long-term injury list, you know, it comes as a welcome kind of respite for, like you say, for the medical teams, certainly, uh, but also for the player as well. You know, they get um, one-to-one rehab, et cetera, you know, um, for for periods of time and one-to-one, you know, physical conditioning as well because um, we have we have our, um, you know, physical performance team there as well on hand to, to, to help, you know, with regards to kind of rehab processes and long-term injury management, really. Mm. And I think, you know, we've had a lot of, We've had a ton of people on the podcast now who have worked in various teams around the world, but I think you might be the first person that also has uh, a governance string to your bow as well. Mm, um, yeah. To somebody as like myself who has um, little clue what you do within governance and very ignorant to that side of, of the industry, what, what is it exactly that you do within governance and uh, you know, what, what are the kind of specifics around what you try to achieve there? Yeah, as, as a kind of national medical manager for the, for the Welsh Rugby Union, we have to essentially uh, be across everything from player welfare issues to injury surveillance programs to uh, concussion to all types of research, you know, that are happening within the game. Uh, we need to put up, uh, you know, player welfare and safety structures and education structures for not just the top end of the game, but also for the community end of the game as well, you know, and um, it's, it's significant, you know, um, and we're, we're fortunate. We've we've taken on board 
um, uh, another kind of community game manager as well, um, who also doubles up as a as a physiotherapist within the national national team. Um, his name's John Miles, who works with us, um, and he also went on the Lions tour actually um, as a physiotherapist. But he also has a governance uh, angle as well, you know, looking after the community side of the game, you know, to make sure that everything is boxed off from that perspective. So. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're engaging with governments, with, you know, academic institutions, with um, other national governing bodies uh, in other sports, but also have a very much kind of focused role within the game globally. And, you know, we're part of a number of different steering groups uh, within within the game. Um, for argument's sake, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the uh, concussion working group members for, for World Rugby as well. Um, and then alongside that, I'm also part of a number of medical advisory groups for for all of our competitions that we all participate in. So the Six Nations tournament, which spans across the men's, women's and under-20s game, and also, you know, looking at the uh, the club competitions that we have within Wales, which is the United Rugby Championship, which is a cross-border competition between uh, Wales, Ireland, Scotland, Italy and South Africa. And then also the uh, European rugby competitions that we have, um, which includes all of those teams as well as um, uh, England and France as well, you know, so it's, uh, it's pretty full to say the least, you know, the, the, the other job, if you like, if you want to call it that, you know, outside of the clinical side of things. So it's, uh, yeah, it's fairly full on. It's, it's fair to say. How much kind of influence from a medical perspective can you have on, and not necessarily just you alone, but people that are in governance, how much, um, how much influence can you have on rules of the game and style of play? Because obviously oh, the, the rules of yeah. rugby change quite frequently. Yeah, I mean, player welfare is massive, you know, for us um, as a game. You know, it's a game where, well, it's a collision sport. Let's let's call it how it is, you know. And you know, collisions, you know, can you know, and often do lead to some some injuries, etc. As well, so we have to make sure that we're always looking to make the game as safe as possible. So, you know, it's it's about working with law review groups. So, for argument's sake, with World Rugby, you know, there'll be a, um, a law review group that will have multiple stakeholders on there. And also, you know, that includes medics, etc. as well, and medical advisory uh, practitioners as well, to review the game, review the laws, um, and to see how things can change, you know. So it's really important, you know, first and foremost, to have a, a really robust injury surveillance system in place. And um, because, you know, if you start making rule changes, how are you going to know if they're being effective or not, right? And it's it, it's a case of um, making sure as well that we don't then suddenly get loads of unintended consequences as well from what you feel may be something that's going to help um, help player welfare, but actually could have a converse effect, you know. So making sure that we have that injury surveillance system is, is, is first and foremost. And then, yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that, you know, all the advice that's given, you know, for the game from a medical perspective is, is taken very seriously and um, is taken in conjunction with multiple stakeholders to make the game as safe as possible, you know, whether that's rule changes, whether that's um, from a coaching perspective, you know, looking at uh, changing coaching uh, approaches uh, throughout the game, not just the elite side of the game, but throughout the game, whether that's looking at things like, you know, it's, it's very big at the moment, uh, contact load as well within rugby union. Mm-hmm. All of these things, you know, are, are really really important to have a you know a medical stance on because uh, otherwise how, how are we going to gauge if we're if we're being successful or not with regards to safety yeah with the with the kind of current set of rules that the the rugby code plays and i guess the current environment today obviously you mentioned concussion earlier and i'm sure that's a big part of it but what are sort of the 
what's the current landscape of things that from a governance role you're most concerned about from a player welfare perspective? Oh, look, I take, you know, the, the whole sport takes player welfare really, really seriously. You know, there's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. And, you know, we, we look at, if, if you look at it from a very simplistic perspective, we look at our, our injuries via our injury surveillance system. And in Wales, you know, we, we, we always look at our top five and we think, how can we make the game safer for these top five? You know, so concussion is, is, is generally within that top five. Um, and then, you know, we have other injuries such as hamstring um, uh, strains. Um, we have, you know, shoulder injuries, uh, knee injuries, which are very injurious as well, you know, as they, as they are in many other sports as well. But, you know, all of those things are taken, you know, equally if you like and you know we, we address them but you know clearly you know there's there's a lot of press around concussion and you know rightly so you know because it is our top injury and it is something that you know um that we take very very seriously and that's something that we never sit still with either mm. so you know we yes we understand that you know concussion is is very evident in our sport and we do as much as we can at the moment to, to make to make the game as safe as possible but it's never enough for us, you know, as a sport, you know, as, as the rugby family, you know, we move forwards and we always try and improve um, the safety of the game, you know, with regards to, uh, you know, head impact events. Yeah. And obviously, you know, injuries are going to differ depending on uh, position within rugby in terms of which injuries are common or you might expect at times. Um, how, how much does kind of playing style make a difference? And, and what I mean by that is, you know, obviously, different international rugby teams play different styles of rugby. So I'm just wondering how, you know, if you've got your kind of top five injuries for um, for the Welsh rugby landscape, how, how much does that potentially differ from, you know, you to Fiji or to New Zealand or, you know, you yeah. don't have to mention the team specifically, but. Yeah, it's um, a good question, actually. Um, but I think if you look at all the injury surveillance programs across the world, they're relatively similar, actually. Yeah. You know, we'll, 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 we will see, you know, relatively similar um landscapes with regards to the top five you know and i think concussion will consistently be you know within the top five uh, if not the top three you know within within global kind of injury surveillance programs um i mean intuitively you would say that obviously if someone plays you know a higher running game you know um they could potentially get more kind of soft tissue injuries if you like you know potentially you know whereas you know if someone plays a more collision-based game they may get more kind of collision-based injuries um but ultimately, you know, what we see is that the tackle area is something that, you know, does have the most injuries. Uh, and, you know, in, in rugby, you know, in rugby union, there's there's a significant amount of tackling involved, you know. And obviously, there's two people involved in the tackle, the the, the, the tackler and the ball carrier, you know. And um, we, we, we know that, you know, in in rugby union, that's a very common event, you know, and that, that happens very regularly. But, yeah, just going back to your, your original point, really, it's... Uh, I think it's fair to say that it's, you know, the, the top five will, will, will consistently be, you know, as much, you know, throughout throughout the world, you know. Yeah. And I guess like, you know, I mentioned the skill set earlier of, you know, going from club to international to Lions. Mm. How did you kind of develop the skill set or how do you how do you grow into a governance role? Because that's obviously very different to maybe a slightly more linear or similar pathway for, um, you know, like I said, club country lines how yeah how did you develop the yeah. skill set to be effective in governance yeah i mean um you certainly don't get it you don't get taught it let's put it that way at undergrad level <laughs> or physio that's that's for sure you know the days of doing a little bit of effluage here and there doesn't really prepare you for <laughs> you know having to do like governance and having to look at uh you know systems and processes and projecting you know five-year strategies and stuff like that you know so it's it it Certainly, you know, from my role where I went from. So obviously, I came. I went from um, 
club rugby, you know, with regards to London Wasps, where I was uh, prior to Wales. And there was a small amount of governance involved there. But ultimately, you know, you just have to learn very quickly. You know, you just have to learn very, very quickly. You know, um, within Wales, the, the remit was quite broad. So it was kind of, you know, le- left left to myself to a certain extent to see how we would develop that role. And um, as um, as we identified the areas to kind of um, develop, you know, those the skills that were required, you know, ultimately we just had to get into, you know, doing a lot of... Uh, a lot of education very quickly, a lot of learning from others, learning from mistakes as well, you know, um, thankfully not too many, you know, but certainly, you know, that's a, that, that's been a big, big learning process for myself, you know, throughout my career, you know, is that, you know, you just got to learn from your mistakes and you just can't, you can't keep making the same mistakes, you know, of course, you know, so um, that's certainly been, for me, the biggest learnings has been, you know, from, from some errors, some small, some big, you know, and um just making sure that you know that that the, they're rectified, you know, for 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 the future, you know. But a, a lot of learning, you know, a lot of self learning, a lot of learning from from colleagues, you know, within um, within the role as well, really. I guess with governance as well, it's not as um, secret squirrel and competitive in terms of like you've, you've, you're yeah. kind of all, you're trying to influence the greater good of rugby welfare rather than um, individually win. Yeah, and I'd, I'd say the biggest the biggest area we've seen that in has got to be COVID. Uh, I would say, you know, obviously it hit everybody very quickly and very hard, you know. So from that perspective, you know, governance structures that we were putting in place for uh, the Pro 14, which is now called the United Rugby Championship, you know, we were developing very quickly with those, you know, we were openly sharing those globally, you know. Um, And then, you know, everybody, every sport, you know, was very, very open, you know, with regards to how we were going to try and navigate safely back to sport. and. you know, that, that was an incredibly positive kind of experience, you know, out of COVID, you know, there aren't many, you know, but then, you know, that was certainly one of the things that um, w- was brilliant, you know, is that every sport, every country, you know, suddenly came together, you know, and we were having, you know, we we're having, you know, Zoom consultations with people that you never would usually have Zoom consultations with, you know, it was, it was, um, it was great to see everyone pulling together, you know, from, from, from that perspective. And like you say, it, it's, it's not about competitive advantage, ultimately, it's about, safety player welfare and making sure you deliver you know deliver the game and participation you know as safely as possible mm. and you know we had a conversation just to take a slightly different um direction with our, our conversations today we, we spoke previously before recording and we touched upon kind of eradicating dependency if we call it that mm, in team yeah. environments and one of the things i'm, I'm wondering for you because you, you've you've worked in different sports and in very different contexts within one sport how do we kind of create a more independent and accountable player? Because I think that's it's something that we talk about in a lot of different contexts in the industry at the moment. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, something that I'm pretty passionate about, you know, and <clears throat> that is the nirvana, isn't it? Is that we want independent players. We definitely don't want dependent players, especially in a team sport like rugby union, you know. So um, you're right, I have worked in m- multiple different sports and, you know, um, Certainly when I was started out, you know, in football, you know, there was much more of a dependency culture. Um, there's no doubt, doubt about that, you know, for, uh, from my perspective. That's not to say that's, um, you know, indicative of the sport. It may have been indicative of the club. It may have been indicative of um, myself. You know, it may have been, you know, how we, how we ran the department, et cetera. But certainly now, you know, in the international game, you know, we have very small finite periods. You know, for example, we're, we're just about to go into the autumn internationals period where we're playing, you know, 
some of the best sides in the world in you know New Zealand, the current world champion South Africa, uh, Fiji and Australia, and we only and we only have five weeks. You know that's it. You know so um, we can't have hugely dependent players. You know uh, in in our environment, and what we've certainly found is that having independent, accountable players. You know um, is is absolutely essential for success and. Some of the some of the ways that we do that, you know, um, and this will be common, you know, certainly in, in most most teams is that, you know, we have a self-monitoring system um, uh, around sleep, energy and mood um, and, the, you know, stiffness, illness, uh, all those things. And that's that's kind of the first step, if you like, there's that self-reporting. We'll then have a physical screening program as well, where, again, it's up to the player to, to screen themselves to then understand where they're at. You know, we're not going to chase um, you know, players, if they're massively beyond their norms, you know, although we do get alerts and we may chase one or two guys, you know, if we, if we are concerned, but, you know, generally speaking, we always put it on the player to make sure that they understand their own bodies and that actually, if they're stiffs or whatever it may be, that actually that they know how to take care of their own body, you know, with regards to getting their bodies ready for, uh, for action in training. We, um, you know, they know all of their kind of pre-activation routines. They know a, a lot of their own recovery routines is drilled into them. You know, that again, we're not going to spoon feed these guys. Um, and it's taken, you know, it's, it's not an overnight thing. This, you know, it, it's taken a while, you know, to create, create that kind of environment with our national team, because again, they're only in for sporadic periods of time. Um, I suppose the stakes are a little bit higher as well in the international game. So the guys have to do it, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, there, there's, there's, you know, uh, like I say, recovery routines, etc., that everybody knows. They know how to undertake them, you know. Um, and also, ultimately, um, in in the international game, there's a real balance, you know, between preservation and preparation for us. So we can't be too cautious and preserve players too much because ultimately they're not going to prepare on the the training field, you know. So they need to do everything, and we need to do everything we can to get as many players to prepare because ultimately, if we don't get that. Uh, preparation period um, in prior to games, we're, we're never going to perform well. You know, we're never going to perform well. That's not to say, you know, don't get me wrong, that we do have to kind of pull back sometimes on some players, but we'll always try and do everything we can to make sure that preparation period is optimal for for the guys so that then the coaches can get their time in as well and that the, the lads can feel really prepared going into, you know, big test matches um, and ultimately perform really. So a lot of it is, is, is put on, put on the players. A lot of it is via education, you know, um, and a lot of it has been just from drumming it into, uh, players, you know, over, uh, over the years, you know, and, you know, we've had, we've had some international guys have been with us for, you know, certainly for the whole time I've been there, you know, so, um, and that's, that's a good 10 years, you know, so, and, and then those guys drive it then for the new guys coming through as it were. So newer caps, people that haven't been in the environment before, you know, that, that same attitude of independence is, is definitely expected, you know, and it's kind of fed down um, from, from other guys doing it as well, you know. And, and it just makes sense as well. I think, you know, if you've, you've got multiple players, you've got multiple teams, and I'm sure your email thread is horrendous, but I guess, you know, you're, you're talking about the player. If you can keep the player central and they can be the most center point of that conversation and also driving the conversation as well, it just makes sense rather than, um, you know, them purely being on the receiving end and you always having to chase up information or people yeah. trying to contact you to oh, look, pass it on. It's, it's you know, when it comes to kind of spoon-feeding players, you know, a spoon-fed player doesn't become independent, you know, off the field or on the field, you know, for us, you know, and that's ultimately what we want is we want players that, 
know about their bodies because ultimately their body is their kind of limited company, if you like. That's the thing that's going to get them caps and, and, and ultimately, you know, a career, you know. So it's about making sure that players know that and understand how to make sure that they can, you know, really optimise, you know, their limited company, which is their body, you know, um, to, to be able to give them, a, a, you know, uh, you know, a long career, but also, you know, be the best they can be and, you know, get international caps. It's, it's easy to take for granted, I think, as well, because while we talk about it now, it sounds logical and it sounds like common sense to somebody who's listening, even if someone listening has no sports context, but it, it doesn't always happen. And I'm not going to roll myself under the bus and mention <laughs> sports that I've seen where it really doesn't happen. But um, there's a lot of environments and there's probably a lot of teams as well out there where I think people credit, oh yeah, you need, you need accountable and educated athletes. And people will always credit and say communication's important. But I don't think communication's always well implemented. It's one of those things that everybody would think they're doing well or agree is important. But strategically, I don't, you know, communication seems to always be a low-hanging fruit in a lot of contexts. Yeah, I, I tell you what, communication is is so important, you know. And, and, you know, in our environment, in the international scene, it's just as with any other professional team, it's really, really important. And what we've found is that simplicity wins every single time when it comes to comms. You know, why have uber complicated kind of um gps and you know kind of player um screening forms that come back to you which take an age to kind of um review and try and interpret versus something that's really simple you know and you know making sure things like you know simple stuff you know and it's it is simple that actually that you can access the coaches you know at you know a drop of a hat you can access kind of the rest of the performance team at a drop of a hat you know you can make sure that actually all of that information that we get every day on all of our players is easily um, digested as well by the player and that you can actually just sit down and just tell the guy, well, look, look at your metrics here. And it's easy for them, you know, whereas, you know, you get all this complicated stuff and you get people that, you know, that just do reams and reams and reams of screening that actually has no no kind of actionable data. Then what's the point of doing all that stuff? You know, for, for, for me, it's it's about making sure that we do the simple things really, really well you know, uh, making sure the player is managing themselves really well, you know, in conjunction with ourselves and making sure we manage load optimally, you know, uh, and, and to give the, the guys, you know, uh, on the park, you know, a chance to prepare appropriately, you know, mm. it's about keeping it as, as simple as possible for sure. Yeah, no, well said. Um, one of the things I want to talk to you about, I can't, I can't not talk to you about the Lions as a rugby fan. Um, when you're, when you're working in say a Lions tour and, and the, and you arrive at the, you know, the, the destination, the country that you're going to be touring. You know, I understand how in a, in a simple sense, you, you act as a good physio and make good judgments and be proactive where you can clinically. How, how can you kind of influence performance when you're on tour as in your, in the role that you have there? Yeah, I'd actually say, I'd actually say before you go on tour is actually really important. And this is the same for any international kind of uh, period. So a world cup or uh, six nations, or if, if there's any touring team going anywhere, you know, and, and it's a, it's it's a competition, you know, if you like. All your preparation beforehand, you know, is so important, you know. How is the schedule going to look, you know? How are you going to train? And this, this all has to be done with, you know, every important stakeholder, you know, uh, from a physical performance and coaching perspective, you know, uh, coaches, you know, operational guys, um, the uh, the physical performance guys, the medical guys, the analysis guys. All of these people need to be involved in meticulously planning what that kind of, six eight however many weeks you know it's going to going to be and it, and it needs to 
all the facets of performance need to be taken into consideration, you know, at that point. Um, so, you know, it's, um, that, that happens months and months and months and months ahead of any competition, you know, so, um, for argument's sake, the, the, the Lions tour this time around, you know, the, the planning process for the operation side of things anyway, started kind of three years out. And then, you know, the performance side of things really started ramping up, you know, from a year out and then six months out. And then, you know, then we really started getting into nitty gritty. So you can have a huge, huge influence, you know, on, you know, the preparatory period straight away. Then obviously when we get into touring, you know, for a Lions tour in particular, you know, you, you're bringing together, you know, give you an example, 85 people this time around it was. So that's staff and players, you know, all together. Never worked together before and never will work together again in the same team. So you have to have um, an approach that brings people together very, very quickly and that's going to be effective as a team because, you know, some some international club teams will take years, you know, to to, to create that kind of culture, but you have to try and get that together very, very, very quickly, you know, in a team that, like I say, has never played together before and never will play together again, you know, so um, because every four years, clearly there's going to be a change of personnel. So, you know, we go out on tour, you know, straight away, you know, the, the, the staff would have met before. So it's about driving kind of the togetherness and the culture, you know, immediately. And then, bringing in things like, you know, player committees, you know, to, to start driving the kind of the togetherness, making sure importantly, you know, p- people, you know, forget about this, but it's, it's very important that the social side of things is actually absolutely bang on because it brings people together very quickly. Um, all, all of those things at the very start of a campaign, you know, brings people together incredibly quickly, you know, and, we, and we, we've got to make sure that it's done right, you know, because it can be, uh, it can be done badly as well. It can and it can go completely the other way, you know. Um, so it's about breaking down all bound, <coughs> boundaries as well, you know. And we have, um, you know, we have an opportunity. Certainly, like I say beforehand, making sure that we think about and talk about, you know, how we're going to do that. But then when we're on tour, is actually delivering that. And the other thing as well on on tours like Lions tours is that it doesn't always go to plan. You know, it definitely doesn't, you know, there are things that happen, there'll be spanner, you know, especially this time around with COVID, you know, there'll, there'll be a spanner put in the works and then, you know, you have to adapt very, very, very quickly. And we, we, we've got this term of, you know, chaos, uh, change and adapt, you know, that, that we've had for multiple campaigns through Wales, as well as, you know, Lions stores as well. And that's, that certainly rings true, you know, when you have uh, a positive case or something like that with COVID, you've got to adapt very, very quickly, you know, and uh, get ready to change, you know, so all of those things, you know, have have an influence, you know, and, and I'd like to think that, you know, everybody, you know, that, that tours, you know, um, has a has a way of making it, you know, optimal. You mentioned kind of being uh, being organised ahead of time and, and you also mentioned uh, getting the culture right, of course, then. You know, can you, I don't know whether you can do this and if you can, I'd, I'd be curious as to how, can you predict uh, the culture ahead of time or how do you, how do you assess the culture ahead of time? And, and the reason I ask that is obviously if you've got players from com- coming from different countries, they receive yeah. different styles of care, different styles of coaching, training, um, and then also different social, um, you know, traditions that go around with their international game as well. Do, can you ahead of time look at maybe the, the, the personalities coming in or the, the ratio of which, which players are coming from which countries and, you know, make a bit of a judgment as to how you think the culture will go. Yeah. So what the, the, the way it worked kind of for this, um, for this campaign was that 
and Warren Gatlin, who was the head coach, um, had had coaches from obviously from 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 lots of different places um, and uh, from various different countries. And they sat down and just kind of looked at the people that that were were up for selection, as in from from a playing perspective, and just looked at you know what they were like as men, you know, as well as you know obviously what they were uh, like as rugby players, but. You know that was definitely taken into consideration. You know when selection was made, and that that's done via the you know the network that we have. You know within rugby of you know just making sure you you, you ring other coaches, ring other you know practitioners, etc. You know what what are people like, etc. And I think that was something you know that was was kind of at that at the fore of you know Warren selection. And I, I remember being in one of the very first meetings, and he said that you know first and foremost, you know we have a group of incredible men. You know. Um, in in you know our our team you know and it was true you know we did we had a we had a we had a great group of people a great group group of players and then each head of department you know was was tasked to kind of um, choose you know their own team as well and again you know I can speak for myself you know we we had uh, Dr Jeff Davis who works with me at Wales Dr Kieran Cosgrave who works um, in Ireland um, Bob Stewart who works with England who who was on his fifth um, British Irish Lions tour. Um, John Miles, who works with me in Wales, and then we had um, Amory Birmingham from from England, and Hanley Fisher, who works with me in Wales as well. And again, same thing, you know, there was kind of already, you know, a group of people that we knew were great people. You know, of course they were great practitioners because they wouldn't be doing what they were doing anyway. But they were great people, you know, and that was the same across the board, really. So making sure that you have that, you know, you're winning straight away. You know, if you have great people on board straight away um, and great personalities, then, you know, you know, all, all the, the, the kind of the practice side of things, you know, just, just is, is kind of like granted if you like, you know, but it's about making sure that you get the people right first. Yeah. No, brilliant, mate. I think um, I'm, I'm aware of time. I know you've got a very busy um, schedule at the moment with, uh, with the current autumn internationals coming up. But where, where can people find you, mate? Are you, are you active online and on social media at all? Um, I'm not. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I actually very recently um, came off social media. Um, it was a, a drunken moment, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to come off social media. So I, I literally deleted all my social media profiles, um, and I haven't gone back online yet. So um, maybe the best decisions are made drunk. <laughs> yes, maybe, maybe so. You know, so yeah, I'm not on social media, but you know, my, you know, I'm easy enough to find for sure. Cool. Brilliant. Well, mate, thank you very much for coming on. I've really enjoyed the conversation. And um, yeah, I I mean, I'm obviously English, but I do wish you well in the current season that's coming up. Thanks a million. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, mate. (laughs) Cheers. Big thanks to Prav for coming on today's show. I had a great time talking to him both on and off air and was very appreciative to get him on the show just ahead of the busy autumn internationals that we're going through currently in rugby. If you'd like to find more episodes, articles, courses, and perhaps a place to contact us, then head to our website, informperformance.com, for more. As usual, you can find us on social media at informperformance for Instagram or at informpod for Twitter. You've been listening to Inform Performance with me, Annie McDonald. Catch us next time for more performance and sports medicine insights. <laughs>